0: that said, let us jump into God's Word together. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 14. We are in probably the most famous story from the book of Exodus, um, maybe because of the, you know, the Charlton Heston film back in the day, and um, but uh, it is a very famous story. It is the crossing of the Red Sea. But before we jump into that, just a little bit of a recap as to where we've been so far. So the Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt. Evil King Pharaoh. Uh, evil King Pharaoh. That's like saying the same thing twice. The evil Pharaoh has been taking, uh, taking all the people of Israel. Has put them into slavery. Put them to hard labor. Has also murdered a lot of their children. He's been brutal. He's been awful. And so what do they do? They call out to the Lord and say, Lord, come save us. And the Lord shows up. He appears on the scene and does all these amazing plagues, um, shows his power. And the Egyptians are finally like, okay, fine, you can go. No problem. Um, Get out of here. And so they're leaving and they're on their way out. We didn't read this part, but as they're on their way out of Egypt, they're walking. uh, God himself shows up in a cloud. His presence follows along with them. It's a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night so that they know they are not alone. So this morning we're going to get to this part where they're at the Red Sea. But what I want you to pay attention to as we read our passage this morning is I want you guys to notice particularly the response the Israelites have upon coming to the Red Sea and seeing that Pharaoh's army is now chasing Behind them. So, would you please stand with me? And we're going to read the entirety of Exodus 14 together, and then we will talk about it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi between Migdol and the sea, in front of the people of Israel. They are wandering in the land, the wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh. And all his host, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him, and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Piharoth in front of Baal-zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who was going before the hosts of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the hosts of Israel. And there was a cloud in the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, and the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the hosts of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians so the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your word. May it not return void this morning um, but may it encourage our hearts and challenge us to greater dependence and trust in you. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I use this story with permission but my wife uh, when she tells um, her story, she talks about a time in her life when she felt like the Lord was calling her to date this one guy. Um, It wasn't me, it was another guy. Um, She felt like the Lord was calling her to date this one guy. She just had it on her heart. She felt like this is who I'm meant to be with. And so she prayed. She prayed fervently, Lord, please have him ask me out. Please have him uh, pursue me. And you know what? God seemed to be answering her prayers. He did ask her out. He asked her out. And they started going on dates. But pretty soon, Kelly realized that this guy isn't actually good for me. This This relationship is not working out. And the guy wasn't even treating her particularly well. Everything she she thought for sure, oh, God must be ordaining this because I prayed for this and God gave it to me, therefore God must have this in mind. But she was wrong. The relationship quickly fell apart and didn't work out. She began to wonder, why would God do that? I feel so disappointed by what God did. I feel even a little bit tricked I felt this was a symbol of God's will and God's favor towards me. I was wrong. Have you ever felt tricked by God? Have you ever felt disappointed in Him? Have you ever felt like you had an expectation of what His favor to you would look like, and it didn't look that way? You were expecting to feel a certain thing, or for some circumstance to happen, Or you prayed and you prayed for that thing to happen and it didn't happen the way you thought it would. Feel disappointed, frustrated, maybe, maybe even a little tricked. The Israelites certainly felt tricked in this passage. Probably noticed it here as they arrive at the Red Sea. Um, In bondage, you know, they had cried out for deliverance, they had been in this brutal bondage and Uh, They say, God, please deliver us, and God shows up, and he does all these miraculous plagues, and he seems to be calling them out of Egypt, and Pharaoh's like, get out, and they're like, yes, we're going, and actually says they're going out defiantly, like they're boldly going out with confidence that God is with them, the clouds above them, following them along to show God's presence with them. They are ready to go, and then God says, okay, now turn southwest, Which might not sound like that big of a deal. They're going southwest, not a big deal. Why why is that a problem? Well, if you know your geography, you know that if you want to get out of Egypt and go towards the promised land, which is where modern-day Israel is, you would uh, go west. Southwest is a problem because that is where the Red Sea is, and that blocks off Egypt from the Sinai Peninsula. And so they're going southwest towards the ocean. This impassable barrier that no one could get by without a boat, especially not a group of people this large. And God specifically says, hey, you go, and you go right here to the edge of the waters, so much so that you will have nowhere else to go. And they do. They go there, and they're like, okay, this is weird. And they're just thinking it's weird probably when they turn around they say, oh, there's an entire army pursuing us, ready to enslave us, ready to kill us, ready to throw us back into misery. And so they come to, uh, to Moses, or they cry out to God, and they cry out to God through Moses, and here's what they say. It says, "'When Pharaoh drew near, "'the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, "'and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, "'and they feared greatly. "'And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. "'They said to Moses, "'Is it because there are no graves in Egypt "'that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? "'What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt?' Is this not, what, is, is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You see, the, the Israelites are feeling tricked by God. God did all this stuff, but then he brought us here in the middle of nowhere, and he did, it doesn't seem to be doing anything. They make this, uh, this great comment. They say, are there no graves left in Egypt? That's a, that's a pretty witty comment when you think about the thing that Egypt is famous for, more than anything else, is literally tombs. You know, pyramids, right? Like, there, there, there are graves everywhere in Egypt, and they're like, God, why would you take us out here? There are plenty of graves back there. We could have died there. They're frustrated with God. So points for wittiness, no points for trusting the power of God. But God is patient with them, and through Moses, he responds to them. And this is what Moses says. He encourages the people. He says, fear not, stand firm, and see." see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. In other words, Moses is saying to them, trust the Lord and watch. Trust the Lord and watch. This morning, if you are feeling disappointed or confused or maybe even tricked by God, he is not tricking you. He is not abandoning you. And God is telling you the same thing. He's saying, trust and watch. Trust the Lord, and watch. He's calling you to something even deeper than you could have imagined. These are two points this morning, trust and watch. Let's talk about trust. When you're feeling disappointed by someone, particularly by God, it's kind of hard to trust them. How do you trust someone you're disappointed in? Well, it's the same way that people who are in Wyoming staring at a field every hour Trust that a geyser is about to pop up out of the ground. If you go to Yellowstone National Park, every hour you will see a group of people standing around, staring at an empty field. Nothing's happening. It's, they're just staring at it, and they assume they know that something is going to happen. Why? Because Old Faithful, the geyser there, um, shoots into the air once every forty to two, forty minutes to two hours, and it has done that for all of history. Over and over and over again, it shoots up day and night, every 40 minutes to two hours. So people will gather there and they'll stand and they'll watch, ready for it to happen because they know it's always done it. It's certain to do it again. It is the same way with the Lord. How do we know, how do we trust that even when we don't know what he's doing, we don't see what he's doing, how do we know that he's at work? Because we've seen him and his faithfulness over and over again and over again. We look backwards in order to trust in the present. And that is our call this morning. It's one of the things I want us to take away is that we need to be looking backward. Now, the problem with the Israelites here is they had a memory problem. They had a big problem with memory. You see it immediately. What is the first thing they say to Moses? It's like, didn't we tell you, Moses? Didn't we tell you? We didn't want you to bother our lives. Our lives were great back there. We were just serving the Egyptians. It was awesome. They're forgetting that they were the ones who initially called out to the Lord because of their bondage. And you'll see this over and over again if you read through the rest of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua. If you go through the whole Old Testament, you'll see over and over again the people of Israel are forgetful. They constantly are looking back and saying, oh, well, things were better then. Oh, well, why can't you take us back to Egypt, Moses, Joshua, etc.? Things were nicer then. They forget that. They also forget that God himself has very clearly demonstrated his power to them. What just happened days previous to this moment? God had done the 10 plagues, had shown his miraculous power over nature, over life itself, over the sky. He's shown that he has power over even the rivers, the waters, so they should know that God has power right now. They'd also forgotten that they just need to look up. He's right there. They can see that God, His presence, is with them. They can physically see it. And they're so quickly forgetting. The good news is for forgetful people like the Israelites and for forgetful people like us, God is patient with the forgetful. He does not stop showing Himself to us, He appears. He shows himself over and over again. It might not be in the way we expect, but he does show himself over and over and over again to us. He also gives us a gift. He gives us the gift of rituals, of practices, of disciplines. We talked about this last week. If you want to go back and listen to uh, Pastor Bryce's sermon last week on the Passover, God literally gives his people practices to help them remember. And one of them is what we're doing right now. The gathering of God's people as a community together to worship the Lord is a regular weekly reminder of who God is. We come here not to earn God's favor, we come here to be reminded of it. To be reminded in community that God is still who he says he is. He desperately loves his people, he's desperately committed to them. You need to be in worship regularly. We need it. I need it. We need that regular reminder. You also need to be in God's Word. God's Word is a reminder, a written, permanent reminder of who God has been in history and who He will be in the future. It is it is something that we are meant to be meditating on daily. We also need to be in community with God's people. We need to have other Christian friends in our life who know us deeply enough to be like, hey, you're discouraged. Hey, you're struggling. Hey, you're doubting. Hey, you're hurting. Let me talk to you about Jesus. Let me, let me remind you who Jesus is. We need these regular rhythms of reminders from God that he has given us, like these and others. We also need to meditate on our story and the times in our life where God has shown himself to be faithful to us. There are times where God makes it very clear to us that he's at work, where God reminds us of what he's doing. We can look back on our lives and we can see what he's done. In the Old Testament, as we we keep reading in these passages, you'll see different times when God says to the people to make a monument of some sort. After God has done something amazing. So, for instance, after uh, they cross the Jordan River and Joshua, he tells them to gather these stones and to stack them up uh, in a pile as a reminder to them and to further generations. Every time they pass by this monument, they'll remember, okay, I might not see what God is doing right now, but I do remember that he was faithful there. What are the, those are called Ebenezer's. That's the, 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 the word for them. What are the Ebenezer's in your life you that you can look back in those hard moments to be like, oh yeah, I don't understand what God is doing now, but I can trust him because he was faithful then. I can trust that he is doing something even if I can't see it. God is faithful and we can trust him even when we don't understand. But we don't just have to trust. God gives us many opportunities to also watch. He calls us to watch. To be able to truly uh, watch what God is doing, we need two things. First, we need the correct eyes to see what He's interested in, to see what God wants us to see. Like Kelly or others of us, sometimes we are looking for something particular and that is going to be the sign of what God is doing or show us, demonstrate to us who God is, what He is like, what He cares about. But actually, you no, know, God says, no, you need to see what I want you to see. You, want to see what, you need to see what I care about. You need to see what I am doing in order to be able to, to, to notice it. I'll try to explain. What's happening here in this passage? Well, God himself is the one who decided to bring them to this place. You see this at the very beginning of the passage. God is talking to Moses and he says, hey, by the way, Moses, here's what I'm doing. I'm saying, you and the Israelites, you guys go down to this part of the map where you're gonna be blocked in. You're not going to be able to get away. There's going to be no uh, possible way physically that you guys can imagine for you to escape this situation. I'm going to put you in a dead-end place, intentionally. And I'm going to do that, and he says very clearly why. He says, I'm going to do that so that my glory might be seen. God is saying that I am going to intentionally take you to this place so that I can reveal to you my power. So that I can reveal to you my glory. What does that tell us? That tells us that the thing that God is most concerned about is not so much our circumstances as it is our hearts. You see, God wants us to see his power so that we will grow in our dependence on him. So that we will grow in our trust of him. He certainly cares about our circumstances. I don't want to say he doesn't care about them at all. He deeply cares about our suffering and our hardship and our pain. And you see this over and over again in the person of Jesus. He enters into people's lives. He weeps with them. He cries with them. He mourns with them. He grieves with them. This is the God we serve. But even more, even with how much He cares about our suffering, even more than that, He cares about fixing our hearts. Because our hearts are deeply in bondage to self-dependence. We're so dependent on ourselves and our circumstances to feel okay, to feel secure, to feel joy, to feel peace. And God is saying, no, those things will not give you peace. That is bondage. I am inviting you in your times of suffering to turn to me and to find in me your joy and your peace and your suffering." I'm sorry, your joy and your peace and your, and your contentment, your security. God wants us to have eyes to see that that, not our, the change in circumstances is not a symbol of his character. What is a symbol of his character is the change of our hearts to more and more depend on him. So when you are struggling, see it not as a symbol of God's disfavor towards you, but see it as an invitation by God To come to him. An invitation to not find your worth in those things. An an invitation to identify what are these idols, what are these crutches you are leaning on that are not him, that cannot ultimately provide you with what you're looking for. And to said, turn to him in that. To grow deeper and deeper in your trust and your dependence on him. So we need to have the right eyes to see. We need to have the right ability, right, we need to be looking for the right thing. But we also need to be looking with eagerness and expectation. One of my favorite Spanish words is the word pendiente. Because pendiente communicates in one word this concept with, multiple, with a, a greater meaning. That we don't really have a word in English. You could say pending, but we don't really use it that way. You could say, I'm waiting. That doesn't fully communicate uh, the meaning. It really means not only waiting, but also ready. Waiting and expecting something to happen. And God here is calling his people when he says, see the salvation of the Lord. He's saying, be pendiente to what I'm about to do. Be ready and Waiting. Because I'm about to do something so that you aren't, don't miss it. I don't want you to miss what is going on. And God does not disappoint them. As the, uh, the day comes, the cloud comes down to work as a shield in between the God's people and the Egyptians. Then God miraculously parts the waters, as you guys know the story. God's people cross on dry land. The Egyptians pursue. They get stuck waters come back down over them. And God demonstrates to his people that victory, ultimate victory has been accomplished. Not only are you out of Egypt, but the Egyptians can't even pursue you anymore. They have no power over you. I have demonstrated my power and I have achieved victory over your enemies. Enemies have been destroyed. He rescues his people. He acts. And what is he doing in that moment? He's causing the people of Israel to grow in their dependence upon him. And that's what it says at the end of this passage. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians set on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. What is the ultimate good that has happened through this is the change of their hearts from doubt to belief, from feeling tricked to trusting. That's what's happening in their hearts. That is the major thing that God has accomplished in the hearts of his people. And so for us, too, we can expect God to be working on our hearts, to be changing them, What's really cool is that yeah, Kelly did not work out with that other it didn't work out with that other guy. She got to marry me, but that is not the end of the story. It wasn't like, oh great, now her life is fulfilled now that she met me. No, God put us together and now she's married to a miserable sinner who struggles with things. And she has to deal with that. And what has our marriage done? Our marriage has helped each one of us, through God's power, to trust more and more in Jesus to depend more and more on him. That is what God was concerned about with Kelly and this other guy. He was concerned with giving her a place where she could grow more and more in dependence on him, that her heart could change, and he was doing the same for me. This is what he is doing in our lives, and we need to be looking for it. If you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you should be able to look back on years before and see, wow, God has done these things in my life. God has been faithful, he has shown up, he is changing my heart, he is challenging my heart, he is confronting my heart, he is at work there. I might not know the end result yet, and well, I know that it's going to be good maybe in the future, but right now I don't really understand what he's doing, he feels like he's just revealing a lot of sin in my life, or he feels like he's just, you know, like challenging my idols all the time, or it feels like he's not providing that thing I think I need the most, but all of that are symbols of his work. Symbols of his invitation to more dependence. We can also be pendiente because in the future, God is going to come and make all things right. He is going to fix our circumstances. He is going to make all that is wrong right, all that is uh, bad, untrue. He's going to fix this world. And it is going to work the way it's supposed to. And that starts with him changing hearts changing our hearts, changing the world that we live in by fixing the problem that was originally created in the garden. We can trust him because like the people who wait to see if old faithful will once again be faithful, we can look back at the ultimate act that God has done. We can look back at a savior, his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the garden of Gethsemane and came, got down on his knees and said, Lord, if you can, please take this cup of suffering from me. Please take your wrath from me. And God said to his own son, no, no. I'm not going to do this because your purpose is to go to that cross. Why? So that I can show you, show the whole world, my glory. And in the resurrection, when Jesus comes back to life, what, that's what this story of crossing the Red Sea is a picture of, going into death and out to life. It is this moment in, that seals the defeat of our enemies ultimately. It is this that ultimately guarantees that one day our hearts will be fully restored and in, in the right place to be in, their, in the presence of their Heavenly Father. It is the thing that guarantees that this world will one day be redeemed. This is good news for us. This is the God we serve. He is faithful. Let us trust him and let us watch with pendiente eyes. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for uh, this story of your redemption, of your people, your care for them your desire to change their hearts to see you, uh, to see you as their hope. I pray, Lord, that you would be doing that work today. Um, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org